Good morning. Did you, you guys said hi to each other, right? Okay. You sure? Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, this season that has become um, at times predictable. But would you help us uh, get a vision this morning to celebrate you, Jesus? The one and only Jesus, the best way to live. Father, thank you for everyone that's here. Would you uh, touch them this morning? Would you help them see you clearer than they've ever seen you before? Help us have a great morning together. Help us experience you in new ways. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So one of the great things about Christmas for me, one of them amongst many, is the Christmas movies. And uh, how many of you guys like movies? Can I see a group therapy moment? Okay, a lot of you like movies. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you what I've come up with is the five, what I think are the five very funny Christmas movies. And I'm going to have you talk to each other for about 10 seconds for you to kind of vote, okay? And so the Christmas movies are this, Elf, Home Alone, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and a Charlie Brown Christmas. Would you take about 10 seconds? Tell the person to your right or left, what's your favorite of the five? Okay, let's, uh, let's do a group moment here, okay? How many of you said elf? I'm sorry, we don't, we don't clap in church, okay? Sorry. No, just teasing, just teasing. Okay, how many of you would say uh, Home Alone? Okay. Andrew, you would like this, wouldn't you? How many of you would say Christmas Vacation? Yeah, all, yeah, all the old people like, like that one. How many, <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm old, I can say that. The Grinch, Grinch Stole Christmas, okay? All, all eight of you, okay. Uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Okay. Well, it looks like Elf and Christmas Vacation win. Probably a third would be Home Alone, which is my favorite, Home Alone. Macaulay Culkin is in this house. His parents have left him. And he's got two predators, these, uh, these little bandit guys that are trying to invade his house. And they're trying to mess with him, but he actually messes back with them. Let's watch this scene from Home Alone. I love this because the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 are sort of the Macaulay Culkin of the Bible. They are watchmen. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the three dramas that are in Luke chapter 2. There are the shepherds. And the shepherds were a kind of a low-class group. They were considered not the greatest vocation in the world. Uh, they were looked down upon, and yet there's something to be admired about them. Their, their job was 24-7. So they're working all the time because the Bible says that, they, uh, that, that the shepherds live in the field. So there's no Holiday Inn, there's no Fairfield Inn, there's no Hilton Garden. These men, typically men, are stuck out there watching sheep. Now, here's what you need to know about sheep. Uh, sheep are dumb, 
okay? Therefore, that's why there's no NFL teams named the sheep, okay? I know there's the LA Rams, but that's different. Sheep are really dumb. I remember seeing a movie of a, about 100 sheep, and they came to the edge and looked over a cliff, and one sheep went one, went, fell over, and all 99 followed. I mean, they're just dumb. They're dumb animals. Not only that, they stink. They smell. And so the shepherd has to watch these sheep all day, 24-7. They sleep out there. Now, this is a difficult job because a couple reasons. One, there are predators that want to get the sheep. And so the job of the shepherd is to guard them, is to protect them. And as sheep wander, the shepherds have to wander with them. It's a 24-7 job. It's amazing to think about how the scripture says they watched over flock by night. Now, can you think of a famous person in the Bible that was a shepherd? I, I think I heard him say it. Thank you, King David. David was a shepherd and even then was looked down upon. Now, here's, the, here's what you need to know. Because shepherds are constantly on their feet, because they are constantly looking at the enemies of the sheep, they have, to be, they have to be guarded. They have to be constantly looking around. Uh, and yet, internally, a shepherd felt like an outcast. They were looked down upon by most of society. In fact, because they were with the sheep so often and smelt so bad, they were considered what's called ceremonially unclean. They were not allowed in the temple. And yet some commentaries say that these were the shepherds that actually watched over the best of the best of the best of the sheep that would actually be sacrificed in the temple. So what they're doing is actually a very important job. God visits people who feel insecure. God visits people who feel inadequate. God feels, uh, he goes after people who feel like they don't matter, insignificant. And yet the Bible's so clear that God loves everybody. There's no one that's insignificant in here. Now, maybe you felt alone. Maybe you felt like an outcast. Maybe you felt like you don't fit. Well, that's the way the shepherds felt. They were isolated and forgotten. They were treated with contempt. They were considered by some people as losers. Yet you need to know this morning, men and women, God visits those who feel insignificant. The scriptures talks about this all the time. It says this, the shepherds were living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. Now, here you are, a shepherd, and you're out there with your little sheep, and you're just kind of feeling alone. And they're going to have a crazy encounter that's going to blow their minds. Max Lucado says this, had the angels gone to the theologians of the day, they would have consulted their books and commentaries. Had he gone to the elite, they would have looked around to see if anyone was looking. Had he gone to the successful they would have first looked at their calendars. And so what did he do? He went to the shepherds who had a reputation to protect. But they didn't have an ax to grind, Lucato says. They weren't men who were going to tell God what to do. And yet shepherds were the ones chosen by God to have an encounter. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 has a great verse that talks about the power of of who we are and who we're not. And let's kind of read this together as a congregation. Ready? Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest, 
and the best among you, not many influential. You're doing good. Love it. You're not a nobody. And yet the culture sometimes says we're a nobody. And God chose a group of people that felt like nobodies. Do you feel that way? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you didn't matter? Well, they're gonna have a special encounter. Have you ever met someone famous? Have you ever met someone mysterious? Well, a year and a half ago, uh, I was on sabbatical from where I teach Columbia International University. And uh, every five to seven years, we can apply and get called, what's called a sabbatical. A sabbatical is when you get paid to kind of go do your thing. You can, you can teach, you can study, you can read. Uh, but the goal is to rest. And I, I wish really every, every profession had sabbatical. I do. In fact, I wish, I wish moms had a sabbatical. Yeah, yeah. If you're a husband and you're not clapping, you could have a long ride home. Now, how many of you know that um, uh, to, to, to sort of put the pause button for some people like you and maybe me is a little bit difficult. And so uh, I had to have a plan. And so my plan was to go teach in London, outside of London, at a school called Cliff College. And so my wife, who is kind of the itinerary person because I can get lost anywhere. And if you know anything about England, you have to draw, draw on, drive on the wrong side. I guess they would say that's the right side, but to us, it's the wrong side. So we had to figure this out. And so on, on day three, uh, Rhonda said, let's go to the Hatfield House. Now the Hatfield House was built in 1611. So it's a gorgeous kind of an old kind of castle house and a little place to do shopping. It's very small, it's very tight. So we get there and the lady says to me, uh, pardon me, sir, we're closed. How was my accent? Was that okay? Okay, I'll, I'll work on it. I said, what do you mean closed? She goes, it's closed, but you can walk around. So we started to walk around and Rhonda and Andrew and I are there. And then we see these secret service kind of guys. You know, they got the, the headgear and they're kind of like what I've got now. And so you try to talk to them and they're just, they're like, you know, they don't talk. So we're walking around and we went to the building and opened the door, but it was locked. So I'm thinking, this feels like a waste of time, but we're here. So I see this lady and I walk up to her and I said, do you know what's going on? And she says, yes, someone special's coming. I said, who? She said, Prince Charles. I said, oh, wow, he's going to be thrilled to meet me. This is going to be amazing. So, so here we go. We're walking around. We're waiting for, waiting for him. And we're there. And Andrew's not really happy. He doesn't want to stick around. And Ron is like, if you go over there, he might go over there. So Prince Charles walks in. His little entourage comes in. And he goes into this little cufflink store. And so Rhonda says, if you go that way, you might be able to catch him. So I'm pushing ladies over, just teasing, sir. I push, uh, get over there, and Andrew and I are positioned this way, and all of a sudden, Prince Charles comes right out, right toward me. And I like, I see him, he sees me, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, you know, do you do this? Do you, do you, do you curtsy? I mean, do you bow? I mean, do you, do, you, do you kneel? I mean, what do you do? And he reached out and, and shook, my, shook my hand. And he goes, who are you? I said, I'm David from America. <laughs> uh, duh. <laughs> and, and he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm teaching at Cliff College. He goes, oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. It's a beautiful place. 
He goes, what do you teach? I said, well, I teach youth and family and culture. He goes, oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. What else you do? I said, well, we're taking a cruise to Croatia and to Athens, Greece, and to Ephesus, Turkey. He goes, ah, oh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And then we hit that, have you ever had that moment, that awkward pause, like, what do you say next? And I said, um, the real reason we're here was for me to meet you. And he said, well, you've come to the right place. And then that was it. And like, immediately I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And Ron's going, so she's putting all these Facebook pictures of me going like that because it just like freaked me out. And I, and I remember being felt like, wow, I met Prince Charles. And it just, I kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it for days and weeks and then months and then a year. I have a feeling that the shepherds encounter with these supernatural beings called angels is hundred times, thousand times better than what I experienced. The Bible says that these shepherds had a visitation from angels. Now let's talk about angels for a minute. As I know some of you think that your spouse is an angel or your granddaughter's an angel, but the Bible says that angels are supernatural beings. They were created by God higher than humans the Bible says that they are messengers. And the interesting thing about this is that I don't know about you, but I have never seen an angel. I have kind of, I think at times felt the presence of angels, but the Bible's really clear that they, they don't always show up so that we can see. But in this text, the shepherds not only see them, but hear them speak. So they speak. Now, I have a friend, he passed away a few years ago named Michael Jones. And his nickname was Buddy Love. And he and I were at Ohio University at times together. And I remember one time being with him and he used to tell me all the time that he had the gift of seeing angels. And I'm like, yeah, 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 right, sure, sure. But he would say sometimes, David, there's an angel behind you. I was like, really, where? No, there's, there's one behind you. But one day uh, we were at Ohio University and it was snowing like crazy, like a foot of snow. And there was this one car trying to go up the hill and it was spinning out of control. And I was with him, my friend, Buddy Love. And all of a sudden the car just evened out and went straight up the hill. And I was like, how did that happen? And he, he looked at me, he said, oh, didn't you see? I said, see what? He said, there were four angels pushing the car up the hill. I'm thinking this dude is Looney Tune. But you know what? The Bible says that angels are real. In fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 13, if you want to read it later, says this, entertain strangers because they might be angels unaware. Have you ever had that experience? I've heard those stories before for years. You pick up this hitchhiker, you drop them off, you turn around, doop, gone. Or you meet this person at a grocery store and they had some needs and, and they end up helping someone else and they're gone. The Bible says that angels talk. And here's the good news of what they mention. Verse 11, the angel appeared to them the glory of the Lord shone around them, meaning shepherds, and they were terrified. Everybody say terrified. They were terrified. But the angel said, they speak, the angel said this, do not be afraid. I have good news for you. So angels speak, angels visit. Jewish legend says that at the birth of every child is the appearance of 11,000 angels. I don't know if that's true or not, but what I am sure of is that they are created beings, 
higher than humans who still want to know what's it like to be human and still want to know what does it mean to have salvation. They look into these things. The Bible mentions Michael and the Gabriel, uh, angel Gabriel. So there's, there's people with names, but Luke does not give any account of names because the, the Greek word for angel, angelos, means messenger, messenger. And his message to the shepherds is twofold. Do not be afraid and glory to the God in the highest. Now, I find this so intriguing because the shepherds are here, they're seeing, they're hearing the angels worship. Today in the town of David, here's the message. A savior will be born. He will be called Messiah, Mashiach, the Lord, Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothing and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host. In other words, now all kinds of angels. And the book of Revelation says there's tens and tens and ten thousands upon ten thousand. So there's a lot of angels. And they say this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rest. The third drama is a peasant named Mary and a peasant named Joseph and their newborn baby, Yeshua, God in the flesh. 100% God, 100% man. Now, how many of you are parents? Could we have a group moment? How many of you are parents? And do you guys remember when your first child was born? Do you remember how special you thought that child was? I did. Um, we have a picture of me and my baby, Rachel. Uh, there's Rachel. You like my, my, my locks? You like those? My baby, Rachel's 33. She's right there. Rachel, stand up, honey. Come, just once. Come on. There you go. There you go. There she Yeah, give it to her. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, she's special, but she's not God. Okay? She's special, but she's not Messiah. But... Can you imagine being mom, Mary, in a stinky stable? She's not Queen Mary. He's not King Joseph. They're just a young teenage couple who've been accused of sexual inappropriate relationships. But somehow God, the Holy Spirit, has somehow planted a seed inside Mary and she would have this unbelievable child named Yeshua, Jesus. You know, they still would have to feed this baby. They would still have to protect this baby. But how would you feel knowing that this child that you have will only live to probably 33 years old? Now, Mary didn't know all that, and I don't think that she fully got it. I mean, how could anyone get it if you had an appearance from God through angels saying, this baby you've got is God? I mean, that would be pretty startling and pretty tough to believe with a lot of doubt and a lot of skepticism. I don't know if Jesus ever punched out one of his brothers. I don't know if he cussed. I don't know if he, I, I kind of doubt it. I mean, he says he was sinless. He never stole, never stole marshmallows like I did when I was a kid. But this story drips, men and women, it drips of human normalcy. Think about it this way. A young couple not caravanning in not giving a, a celebrity's honor. It's not like when the Chicago Cubs won and there are millions and millions and millions of people showing up. There's no dance, dance, dance. I mean, there's nothing to that. It's just normal. 
Max Lucado says it better than anyone could. He says, the omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who is larger than the universe became an embryo. He who sustains the world chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. I love this. God as fetus. Holiness sleeping in a womb. The creator of life being created. God in the flesh given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. And he stretched against the walls and he floated in the amniotic fluids of his mommy. It's an amazing scene. The shepherds encounter these angels and these angels have a message. A Messiah is being born. Go see this kid. Now, I believe the shepherds have three responses that I think are applicable for us this morning. The first is awe. They were in awe. I'm afraid to say that we as a church people and we as Christ followers have become in many ways underwhelmed with God, especially at this season. We've heard this story so often. I wonder if we've lost the wonder and mystery of it. In fact, Abraham Joshua Heschel says this, I did not ask for success. I asked for wonder. Have you lost the wonder of this Christ child? The angels watched as Mary would change God's diaper. Fully human, fully divine. Awe. The second A is action. Action. Let us go to see this baby. This action sustains joy. The awe produces joy, but the action sustains it. When the angels had left and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told you about. And the key words here, men and women, is let's go. Action sustains joy. Information without application leads to desperation. But information with application leads to transformation. It changes us. Action, what steps do you need to take this Christmas season to encounter the Messiah? There's action. And then there's adoration, the third A. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard were amazed. But Mary treasured these things in her heart and pondered. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. And they were just as they had been told. Oh, come let us adore him. Awe produces joy. Action sustains joy. Adoration stimulates joy. This morning, what would it look like if you were to break that feeling of underwhelmed to being blown away by God, to being amazed? What would it look like to have awe 
to have action, to have adoration. We've lost some of the wonder, haven't we? Let's reconnect now. Let's experience it afresh if it's, as if it's the first time. Let us stand in awe of the Messiah.